I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is CMO Moves, the podcast that showcases the human side of game-changing leaders. Here are their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. We hope you'll enjoy their stories and take away a few tips and inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, everybody. My name is Jasmine Atherton, and I'm so excited to host today's episode of CMO Moves with Lisa Paulette. And if you know me, you know I'm obsessed with this podcast. So to be here today with Lisa is an honor. And if you've followed Lisa's career, like many of us have, you'll know that she is a powerhouse in the retail space. She's worked at big brands that we all know and love, like Levi's, Lacoste. HSN. And most recently, she is the CMO of Casper Sleep. And I'm thrilled to have you, Lisa. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm such a fan of this podcast too. So I'm thrilled to be on and excited for today. Awesome. Let's jump in. Tell us about your current role. Well, I mean, very simply, I'm in charge of the stories that the brand tells and the growth of the demand for the products. And I really look at this as a singular opportunity. You know, the demand generation is as well as the storytelling. This is kind of a different role in the sense that 
a lot of the, you mentioned some of the companies I'd worked for in the past and what made those companies really, or their market as the marketing challenges really interesting is that, as you said, everybody knows them. Most people love them. They were really um, part of the cultural fabric. And so awareness and building that was never really part of the immediate challenge for me as a marketer, but the relevance piece was. And so it's been very interesting to be at a brand like Casper, where the relevance piece was almost right there out of the gate, but with so many copycats, you know, we had a very unique challenge of not just building the awareness for this brand, but making sure that brand mattered more um, and more to people again and every day. And it's just, that's really what I'm focused on right now. It's such an interesting challenge to face as a marketer. I, I faced it similarly in going from Airbnb to Delta Airlines. And you can imagine at Airbnb, it was very much about brand building, very much about shaping the brand from a couch surfing brand to an experiential brand. And you counter that with the experience at Delta and planes are full at Delta. Everyone knows the Delta name, but it was about shifting that perspective thinking about business travel, how to make the experience better. So again, that relevance becomes the core of the job. And it sounds like from what I see, you've, you've joined Casper at quite an interesting time over the last year with everything that's been going on with the pandemic. How has that changed the experience, made it different, better or worse? I mean, I think it's, you're right. It's been about a year and a half there and only through the pandemic. So it's really, um, it's an incredible leadership challenge, obviously, but it's also um, required a lot more listening to what's going on in the consumer uh, mindset. There's people are handling so many other things right now. And so even when we were doing work, it was really important that we were testing that work and we were making sure it was resonating, going back to what we were saying in terms of relevance, that it spoke to people that it encouraged them to think favorably about us. And I think we were very, um, we did research specifically on this uh, a brand platform and new commercial that we did just to make sure we were really resonating. And so I think just listening, it's made me become a much uh, more attentive listener internally and externally. That's such a great tip, I would say for all marketers is test and learn. And I know we all do that and have that mantra, but especially now, it's if you come across in a non-empathetic way without keeping people's headspace in mind, it's, it's it wouldn't be the best look, that's for sure. No, and you also just risk really significant alienation. Let's step back and go backwards in time a little bit. Did you start off thinking you would become a CMO when you started your career? Did you have that goal in mind or... Did it unfold? This in front was the of you? goal to be right here with you. No, to be honest, no, it, it it wasn't, and and that doesn't mean that I wasn't deliberate in my choices or my career moves. But in reality, I had actually thought and was studying and to get my PsyD, my doctorate in clinical psychology. And at the time, in practicum, I was working under a supervisor's license. I was seeing clients, and I loved the work, and I loved the meaning and the motivation behind the work and the community aspect, but it was very isolating. And I had been in marketing and I realized how much I had a missed the cultural aspect of working in teams and working with groups, and then really just figured out how to apply so much of that education and knowledge base 
again, towards how to navigate those organizations as well as how to uh, listen and be more attuned to customers. So even though I didn't think I would be doing this at this stage, I've certainly applied what I've learned along the way. It's such an amazing foundation, like psychology and that kind of background. I remember those were courses that I took in marketing that were part of the kind of curriculum at the University of Georgia. And I think it just really allows you to tap into people's psyche and understand their motivations, understand their perspectives. I, I, I would say if anyone's in school right now, studying and marketing, definitely take some psychology classes. You won't, I don't think you wouldn't regret that. And I even remember there was a, an author um, named Paco Underhill. And I think that's really when it, a light, this is an older book, but it was a light bulb that went off of why we buy and realizing there was such a, a psychology of purchasing. And it really ignited that level of professional curiosity. Pro tip, I'm adding that to my Amazon <laughs> it's an old right book. now. And I should go back and reread it and see if it's still relevant. It was relevant then, but I'll reread it as well. I'll do it with you. All right, good. So that was where you really started. And obviously we know where you are now. Paint the picture of some of that in between. You obviously have been at some really big brands, heritage brands, like you said. What was that kind of career process like? How was those like stepping stones laid out for you? I don't know if it was by design. And so I'd love to be able to sit here and say it was completely architecturally pure, but I certainly have, whether I started in advertising or went on to the client side, I've always been at the best in, best in class companies but also more specifically brands that either created the category or the products with which they were known for. So Levi's and the you know blue jean, Ralph Lauren for the lifestyle, Lacoste was the polo and HSN was this incredibly different but pioneering business model. And this became a theme. And so while even though that was the external, how you would look at it on, on a resume, the, the reality is that I was really learning how to apply marketing in different types of cultures. And I just observed all through the years, even though these companies may have been known, they were still figuring out the same things and trying to adapt. And I observed that there was this like fundamental difference in, in a lot of these companies between flexibility and nimbleness, which is still relevant today. And flexibility was really what I saw more shorter term thinking lead to. And, and companies be really proud of that they were flex, but it was the companies that were sitting down and talking about a year from now that where I saw that level of preparedness, that when unforeseen events happened, whether it was the crash of 2008 or the pandemic last year, there was a level of durability that was built into those leadership teams and those organizations. And that's really what I have found that those, the durability, the staying power are the ones that have really been able to bridge those moments of uncertainty. And that's been very useful throughout my career because of all the macro events that happened during that time. That's great. And even applying that end goal to a brand like Casper, okay, let's get Casper to that point, I'm sure, of that point of durability, I'm sure, is something that you've been thinking about. And what's interesting too is Casper is one of the, bigger, newer direct-to-consumer brands that have really cut through. And obviously you have a lot of experience in the retail space. How have you seen that the overall space evolve? I'm sure that you've seen many phases of retail. 
What I love about being at Casper is that it really is a multi-channel brand. And so I know it gets this label of being kind of the e-com darling, but it we're sold in multiple places and we are doing that because that's where our customer is. And that has always been my experience. Again, being able to harvest experience in e-com experience in direct to consumer as well as wholesale. And so really what you're really looking at is creating that unified experience. That is, that's been a change. I think a lot of companies have gone through and I love the fact that Casper's do their stores are, our stores are very, they're emblematic of the brand and you feel like you're walking into exactly what you would expect and everyone's so knowledgeable and it really becomes both an inspiration and an education moment. And so that's part of the reason I think Casper does it so well is that they took this beloved brand from the start and they brought it to life very well across multiple channels. You're totally right. And that's a big, I think, trend that's happening now is these originally direct-to-consumer brands are now popping up in Target and popping up in these, you know, different spaces from a wholesale standpoint. And I think that they recognize the scale and the power of being in big box stores like that. But the ones that really punch through are the ones that have that same unified experience. And no surprises, it's the same product, it's the same kind of experience you have, but maybe it's more convenient or maybe it's an an add-on purchase, that sort of thing. It's also strong regional brands. I think everyone knows the big box, but there's tons of strong regional brands and go to most places in the country. And these are the strongholds of those areas and those communities. And so it's really important to flex both. I think there's always shifts in retail and there's shifts in our industry. And I think the other one is really around content and the importance of content and the, the way that consumers want longer relationships and more immersive content. And I think that is really going to be the next evolution that really content is the commerce going well beyond and blurring the digital, the physical, the multi-channel into just becoming more of an immersive content experience. Oh, absolutely. And that pe- people don't want to be sold to. They just want their attention want to be a to part be of it. Yeah, Absolutely. So is what's your favorite part about being a CMO? What do you love the most? Is it the content creation? Is it the team building? Is it, you know, probably a mix of everything? Certainly the C, I think for any leader, whether you're CMO or CXO, or is always is the, the biggest part of that is going to stand for leadership. And I think that is why this role or any C-suite role is really critical. We get to not just partner with each other in our and other members of the C-suite, but we get to help teams really fulfill their potential and feel fulfilled in their role. And especially in marketing, marketing today is one of the most diverse departments. You know, there's data and analytics, there's creative, there's media, there's partnerships, you know, multiple different kinds of people. And building that diversity is not only critical, so you have different voices, different backgrounds, different experiences, but it's also the most exciting part of the job. I learn from my teams all the time, and I often apply something that I'm bringing from one group to another because they all think and problem solve differently. So I would say the leadership aspect of it and the developing the teams and learning from that is is the most fulfilling part of the job. I'm sure it's all about bringing out the best in people. And I would imagine that right now that's presented with new challenges of doing that all virtually and everyone's spread out all over the place. What are some ways that you've navigated that or found solutions to being able to still do that in a really empathetic way? That's such a great question because I think that there's a real tactical component of that. There was 
daily standups when all of this was starting just to stay connected. I always have an open door policy virtually where I'll have office hours, not just my one-on-ones, but office hours where anyone in the organization can come and talk and they, and people use them. And in terms of advice or guidance, this is for emerging marketers and young marketers. The pandemic is something you have to also push through and drive your own visibility. I take note of all those folks who have said, I wanted to meet you. I wasn't going to get a chance to do that in the hallways. So I'm setting up time with you now. And I think it's our job as leaders and is to make sure that we cultivate that environment where it feels unintimidating to come and sit with your CMO and say, this is what I'm working on. And I'm curious how it connects to the bigger picture and be that sounding board because you're losing that level of familiarity. That's one of the most important lessons I can actually give to young marketers is to invest in your own visibility and find a way to, to connect to your leaders. That's such a great way to remove those layers and to really give yourself the chance and such a great idea to have an open office hour, you know, time block where everyone's invited, join if you can or need to. Yeah, I got that from grad school. See, that's just how it was. So you just applied that. I'm like, oh, you just go and speak to your teachers about what you're, what you're working on and your professors. So it's very similar. You kind of talked about the team and you are made up of your team and then the diversity of your team. And you mentioned the marketing team being some of the most diverse talent and people. How do you attract or grow Hmm. your team with diversity and inclusion in mind at at, at Casper now? That's such a good, that's another really good question. I have to say, I've also been lucky to have incredible mirrors and, and mentors. And so I was very fortunate to work with a woman who's still a mentor today, Jackie Nemirov. And I took a, a few lessons, more than a few lessons from her on how to develop people in a very human way. Obviously, this makes good business sense, but it also is just the job of leadership. And I always admired how she built teams. And I think I've tried in many ways, or I've I've seen in many ways, the value in having this incredible mix I have and and still work with a lot of trusted high performers that I've worked for at other companies. And they tend to come where I am now, but I don't want just my old team supplanted into a new organization. And so there's been so many rock stars um, at Casper and who are in specific roles and maybe weren't even at their potential who have really risen to the top. And this has created this really dynamic mix of the shorthand that I often find really useful when you want to get up and running quickly with the people who know me with the energy and the dynamism of people who are new to the team. And that level of diversity um, of work experience, backgrounds, life, et cetera, really creates a really energetic and, and positive environment. In a safe environment, it sounds like, where people feel heard and valued and like they can, again, feel like they can work at their full potential. And I think that leads and perpetuates a continued diverse team because it probably attracts diverse talent as well. Especially if you're new to an organization, I think it's great to show people these are relationships that I've cultivated through the years. The relationships do matter. And for new people, seeing that there's an opportunity to continue to grow and evolve with that person, with that relationship throughout their career, I think in a way is actually also very comforting. 
What are you and your very diverse team at Casper working on now that gets you really? Casper's a relatively young company. And the most important thing is really defining and working on the foundation. And recently, in the last couple of months, we had just launched our first brand platform. And also, obviously, the, the job and the business of creating more efficient performance of all of our marketing. And these are really, you know, they're critical tactics, but it's the, it's building that foundation of the team, of the brand, of how we want to operate that will, I'd say, carry the brand and carry Casper forward in the future, which kind of goes back to what we were saying in terms of durability. And this is, I hope going to be the platform for the company for, for years to come and ways to connect to consumers for years to come. This is the, the next evolution, I think, of the brand. Big brand campaigns are some of my most exciting things to work on. I, and it's cool to think about how you can launch it, but it can last hopefully for decades. I had the pleasure of working on the Belong Anywhere brand oh, campaign as Airbnb. And it's like, it has so many legs, but it's so simple and I, it's, it's exciting work. It feels meaningful when you see the true uh, impact that it can have, not just on the brand, but like the community and the people and um, customers. And I think you touched on something very valuable. It's not just a campaign. It's a, pla- it's a platform. And when we developed the platform is Love Your Tomorrow, we'll handle the rest. It came out of this idea of, we know that there's a level of optimism that's needed every day. It's not just having, it's fundamentally about having a great night's sleep, but that has to fuel a better tomorrow. And, and so we really looked at it as both a, as an opportunity to show how we solve people's problems, literal sleep problems. 86% of people have sleep issues right now. And we know that that's a real concrete problem, but not in an antiseptic way, in a way yeah. that really was warm. We worked with Vanessa Bear on this platform And the level of humor and warmth and accessibility was authentic to Casper, but we had to modernize that and make sure it was a way of connecting not just our products and our expertise, but an emotional connection go forward. And so that was the work I was referencing that we tested to make sure it was actually achieving that. And I love the extra relevance right now for people in that to hear that the brand has your back, literally it has your back because, you know, like right now people feel so uncertain. They don't know who to listen to. They don't know what's right or wrong. And they just want to feel that little bit of extra support. So it's extra relevant in the current time. And this is holistic because it's, you know, that's just part of the campaign, but all the level of content that's being created, how we're connecting it, blog content, influencer content, it's really creating that immersive experience. So yes, we have a message. We want everyone to know this is how you can connect um, really authentically, no matter where you are or at what point in the purchase cycle you are, because you could be really engaged with Casper in a time where you're not necessarily looking to buy a mattress. And we just want to make sure that we're showing up really authentically and relevantly, no matter where you are. Obviously, that's a lot that's going on within the walls of Casper. What do you see happening in the kind of industry as a whole? that gets you excited? Well, I mean, it's really that blurring. We were talking about this as a multi-channel, but I would say we're more and more blurring the lines between digital and physical storefronts. HSN pioneered this in so many ways. The stories and the content are, are what bring product to consumers and the content is commerce. And when you see other brands in the wellness space, 
what they're doing, they're really moving beyond the tactical components of their brand and are going to be creating really immersive experiences. And I think as it becomes maybe harder to connect, and as you said, people are craving that content that's meaningful and experiential work that's meaningful, bringing people actually together, talking to someone, having a sleep expert, having someone give a guidance, I think is going to be as critical as will efficient digital media spend. So as this kind of like blurring happens and this focus on content is riper than it really has ever been, what skills do you think are the most important for marketers to really hone in on or focus on? At our core, and it's exactly how I look at my core function, is storytelling is the central work of a marketer. And it sounds very, you know, obvious, but there's a ton of complexities there and making sure you're telling the right stories to the right people on a broad scale can be, and depending on all these levers can be tricky to measure because you're reaching people at different times. But at the end of the day, if the skills of all the marketers have to be in service of delivering those stories in a way that means something to somebody, the vehicles will change. It's it, whether it's a wholesale door, whether it's a specialty retail store, whether it's Facebook Live, it, all of those vehicles will change. But if the stories, if you're not a great storyteller in this kind of content, I'd say centric world, that is point of sale. And this is only going to continue to matter more and more over time. Yeah. People connect with stories before they ever connect with an actual product. I think that, and I think Casper, people connected with the story of how it showed up and how it made the role it played in making something easier. They connected to that story. They connected to the founder story. And so we have to find and continue to perpetuate stories about the role that we play in someone's life. Those are the brands that I think have become culturally relevant. They're not just a company. They're the brands that are part of and fulfilling their mission that inspire them to show up every day. And we're very committed to, you know, our mission of awakening the power of a well-rested world. We, we, we think that's going to be a, a wonderful place. And we're committed to bringing that to life. You know how much more efficient we would all be <laughs> yeah. at everything we do if we were so much more well-rested? Oh man, I can only imagine. And happy and productive and creative. Anything that I've read, any, we, we have an incredible sleep panel. Even when I'm talking to the professors and teachers of my daughter's school, everything comes down to, to better sleep. Yeah. It's just as important as eating well. And it's just as important if not more so than exercising, it's where you rejuvenate and it's where you regenerate. And we really take that, that time of restoration that your body experiences and your mind experiences really serious. I mean, it's a third of our day, right? <laughs> I want to touch back on, you mentioned storytelling being one of the most important things for a marketer mm -hmm. to really hone on. What advice would you give to a marketer who may not feel as creative as maybe some of their counterparts? What are some things they could do or read or hone in on to maybe bring some of that storytelling ability out or bring some of that creativity? One thing that I feel very strongly about is the idea, an artificial separation between people who are creative and people who aren't. I consider myself a creative 
person. I'm not a graphic designer. I'm not a filmmaker. You're, you know, leveraging your own experiences in your background becomes very relevant. If you actually break down the creative process, it, it's multiple different steps facilitate an idea coming to life. And you could be um, a facilitator of that process, which is just as critical as being an ideator. Or you could be a sculptor of that um, narrative, which is just as important as being the designer. And so I've always, I actually did back in the day, consulting, creative consulting work for organizations to create that unified language of creativity because we are all creative. And I think in our industry, whether you've come from advertising or there's this artificial split. And I think encouraging people to tap into what part of the creative process they can have meaning and they can impact is really important to getting better ideas. It's a real, it's a real misnomer that there's creative people and business people. You can't be a marketer and not be um, creative. And I, ideas and bringing ideas to life and sharing them and, and, and bringing them forward, this might be crazy, but it should not matter where you sit in that team, what level or where you sit in that organization. Obviously, there's tangible skills, but every person is creative and, and feeds into that process. I love that. We should all feel very empowered. You should. And- there's real dimensions there. And I think that's really important to go, no, I, I'm really good at, at spotting the idea, but I'm not good at coming up with it. That doesn't mean you're not creative. I think what's interesting too, and I guess a reflection of your leadership is creating that space for that creative process to do its thing. It's not always going to be step-by-step from one to the next. Sometimes you got to go back to the beginning. Sometimes you got to like redo steps and having the time and space to be able to go through that process and sometimes in a clunky way, I think is a big part of coming to that end result, which is big brand campaigns or brand platforms, like you were saying. I was at Ralph Lauren for a long period of time, and the team was some of the most creative people I've ever worked with, whether they were visually creative or obviously the designers or the art directors. But the job of the marketers were to really come to the table with ideas that people hadn't seen before. And being the first at something. And that really instilled a level of courageousness to come up with an idea that might sound crazy. But when you work in organizations that say we can make it happen, it's actually magical. When I think of some of the things that we did at Ralph Lauren and what that company still continues to do, they really always set that bar very high. And I think that's just become something that's trickled down um, no matter where I've been since. It's almost like a bit of rule breaking in there like being able to really push against what might be traditionally the way things have been done or thought about, I guess my next question would be what rules have you broken and should they absolutely always be broken or what kind of interesting ways have you pushed against the grain? I guess there's two answers to that. I think going back to what I said before, I think being first in doing something or something that's not common in your organization is always considered a rule breaker. And I'll just use at, at Ralph Lauren, I think for when I was running uh, marketing for one of their brands driven to millennials, it's the first time the company had done multiple different types of tactics. It's the first time they had worked with a person, an artist that wasn't really a model we, d- we developed music videos. We, we did concerts. We had incredible content and we did music. And that was relevant for the customer. And it was considered breaking the rules of that organization. But on the flip side, and, and I'd say, especially over the last you know, year and a half with 
everything that's gone on with the pandemic and all the social issues. And it's also the opposite. It's not putting yourself forward. It's also knowing when to let other voices take the spotlight. And that sometimes feels like you're breaking a rule when everybody's engaging. And there's so many participants that sometimes you have to question, do I have an authentic role to play here? And know when when you do and when you don't and be comfortable to sit out when it's like everyone's boycotting or everybody's supporting or everybody's doing this. It's like you have to, as a leader, say, I know this is what's going on, but what feels really right and relevant and authentic for us. So that at, at times has felt like it was breaking a rule um, of knowing when to let other voices shine. The other idea I think is that I, I think so many marketers will relate to because the way we talk about things in marketing is not necessarily how our consumer experiences them. And so this idea of brand and performance, um, I'm really trying to just break that distinction down. You can't have brand work that doesn't perform and you can't have performance marketing that doesn't elevate and enhance your product proposition or your brand. And so um, really for years, and this is also more of an observation of seeing how what's being asked of marketers has changed. I've seen through the years, are you a great brand person? Excellent. Then I've seen, oh, we're not interested in a brand person. Are you a performance marketer? Excellent. It's how you're being asked to flex your skills and you just have to stay true to the fact that they have to be one. Our campaign is no, no less about brand than it is about our product expertise and it can't not perform in the market. And so there's iterations of that based on the platforms that they're on. And so they, you have to have that, that integrated mindset and build that integrated team from day one because consumers don't see it that way. And I'd say the third is just instilling in an organization that as a marketer and as a CMO, I look at myself as the steward of the brand. And that's an incredible job and it's an honor and it's a responsibility but the accountability for the brand is lives in product, lives in merchandising, lives Experience. in UX, right? Exactly. Lives in, especially uh, in the channels. And if something is not, those all need to work in unison for the brand. So if you're looking at brand health and you're looking at brand tracking, it's always like, what's marketing doing? It's, yeah. What are we doing as an organization and how are we fulfilling our promise and how are we fulfilling our mission and how are we showing up across what happens in one area? Word of mouth is incredibly powerful. So I think that's a, a rule that going into an organization and not owning that you are the, you're the owner of the brand. You're the steward of it. Absolutely. And to hit on something that you were saying in that second point about performance versus brand versus experience, do you see that marketers in general should hone more generalist skills and be more of a generalist? Or is there value in true expertise that goes really deep within a certain space within marketing like going deep within social or within performance. I think you have to develop your toolkit of expertise. I may have started out in one area, but I've also been in CRM and data and I couldn't do my job and be creative if I didn't have the insight. And if I didn't have what, 
if I knew what was working and what was performing. But I know, I don't think you can be such a generalist that you don't understand the technical and the requirements of the media landscape today. It's a complex landscape. And so you do need to know that. And you need to understand how all of these touch points ladder up into a unified experience. That might be, that might look like a generalist, the more senior you get, but you are really integrating technical expertise along the way. That said, there's also, you know, SEO experts on my team where they're at a level of specialty that I certainly don't, I don't have, and I don't need to have that. I need them to have that, but I need to understand the impact that that has on my organic traffic and the impact that that has on my brand and the impact that has on the performance. And so I think you have to have both and you have to make sure you're balancing both. If you're just driven in one area, you can optimize yourself into the ground if you're not recognizing that you still have to be building something enduring along the way. It's not just about, it's not just about storytelling and it's not just about optimization. Yep. And I think too, it's important for people to realize that while they may have extreme specialty, it's probably more robust than they even think it is. Mm-hmm. One example I have is I was very specialized in social when I was at Airbnb and also at Delta where I was social, but I think social is not just social, it's content, it's yeah. community building. It's it, so it's so much more than that. And I think you bring so much more to the table than, oh, what's post on Instagram. Like it's, it is so not that anymore. The closest to the brand's sentiment and what people feel about that. And I think that, yeah, to your point, using that to have a general view about this is what's going on about our company has probably been very valuable for you. Yep. And what's interesting is I took that kind of point of view of needing to broaden my experience. So I joined at two home as VP of marketing and kind of jumped into like, fake it till you make it at the beginning. Cause retail was such, I was so entrenched in travel, but jumped into retail and took that perspective of community and content and conversation and put that lens onto retail. So that's been a fascinating experience. So I totally agree with your kind of point of view of being generalist is important, but having those specific specialties can really help you show meaningful value and impact within those different divisions. Absolutely. It's being able to also, and and you said this, but layer that year after year and apply it. It's not like you're like, I did this and now I'm doing this. Every day is a lesson and it still feels like that for me. And I think it's something that I do try and do daily that I do for myself. As I say, what did I really take from today? And it also grounds me in the here and now, but it allows me to be a better marketer because I might take from today something that came out of it, either someone on my team or a different group. And I go, oh, how is this relevant to our business? And just saying what was the lesson of the day really helps create the, the, the themes that you start to see that you gravitate towards and that your business gravitates towards. That's such a great way to end the day. Instead of just like shutting the computer and like sauntering into the kitchen, it's okay. What did I learn today? What did I learn today? What was my lesson today? And it could be really simple, but mark it down and you'll see a lot of themes emerge. Oh, that's fascinating. Okay. We've got one more question and this is the iconic CMO moves question. Okay. If, If time and money were of no object and you were not a CMO, what would you be, Lisa? 
I would be an ice cream shop owner. <laughs> oh, yes, I love that. I would. I know that sounds unnatural, but it's really, it, it's all the things you and I were just talking about. It's, I look at it for three reasons. One, when you think of kids or children, and I have one, when they're standing, and I even have pictures, I think of myself as this person standing in summer with an ice cream cone in your hand, and it's all over your face, and it's <laughs> all in your hair, and it's dripping down your body, and you are just so thrilled and proud to have that. I love that idea of bringing that every day and the community aspect of it. And you see couples or individuals or families going to the ice cream shop. No one's unhappy. Everyone's happy going to the ice cream shop. Everyone's happy leaving the ice cream shop. And it's a part of your community. It's an epicenter. And then just, as I said, there's so much diversity. I know what flavor, what's inspiring people. I just think the whole idea, um, is just something I would just love to do. And I'd love to make it. I'd love to, I'd love to actually make the ice cream. I love to cook. And so I'd love to do oh, it. The night my husband proposed, this was like seven years, eight years ago, we stood there, he proposed. It was such a lovely moment. And we were like, all right, now what do you want to do? And we were like, you want to go get ice cream? So we literally <laughs> just went and got ice cream after we got engaged at Jenny's in Atlanta. And it was- I've had Jenny's ice cream. That's really good ice cream. Oh Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. The whole world of ice cream is actually really fascinating. There's also like this whole, I love all these new artisan ice cream companies coming out. So I actually follow it too as an industry. I'm really oh, into it. That's fun. It <laughs> seems like the ice cream, it does seem like the ice cream industry is really boom. There's all these new brands popping up. Like I feel like the actual ice cream aisle has gotten bigger and longer at the grocery store as well. Oh, for sure. It's really, it's an evolving industry. It's interesting. And okay. What's your favorite ice cream flavor? Oh my God, I knew you were going to ask me that. Um, it depends on the mood and it depends on the, the place. I have this gelato place near my house and it's summertime and they have their gelato. They have this blueberry cheesecake, which is one of the best things I've ever had, but they also have a, just the sorbet, like a non-dairy, which is the Aperol spritz. Oh, and cool. it is so phenomenal. So that sounds um, good. Blueberry cheesecake and Aperol spritz. That's awesome. Hopefully everyone is inspired not only by everything we talked about today, but hopefully everyone goes out and gets scooped. That's my dream. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This has been such a, this has been such a great hour. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And we hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, we'd love your help in sharing CMO Moves with one of your friends or colleagues. And please also be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Better yet, leave us a review while you're at it. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.